if you're like almost out of money, I strongly recommend you just lose it all because it's so much easier to start from the bottom than from the from the almost bottom. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Jordan Belford. How you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for joining us. So to dive right in, you know, I have this picture of you like power suit, three years old, you know, going to the, you know, preschool and just starting to like get people to buy and sell things (laughs) like trading, like take me back. Where'd you grow up? Parents would love to hear where it started. Yes, no power suit at three, power diapers, I think. But I grew up in a middle-class, lower middle-class family in Queens. And, you know, it was one of these areas where, like, you know, we got a great education. We weren't poor. Like, we always had food on the table. But, you know, we had enough to know how little we had. And I think that was really important. So that kind of created this aspirational mindset for a lot of people in my area. And, you know, well-educated and that gave you this sort of, you know, logical ability to go out and get rich and one day move out to Long Island. That was the dream. You get rich and move out to Long Island. So that was really where it started. And a lot of people in my area, maybe they didn't get as famous as I did, but tremendous upwardly mobile area that I came from. And so what did your parents do? What what plan did you in Queens? Tell me a little bit more of the family. So my parents, both CPAs, believe it or not, both accountants, right? My mother ultimately went back to law school. So I grew up in this kind of financially literate household, heavily financially literate. And, you know, I I, I didn't really ever consider going into that line of work. But, you know, business was part of the vernacular at the table. And what my parents did not appreciate was they did not appreciate sales and marketing people. They hated those types. So, you know, they were brilliant, hardworking, educated, but never made that much money because they, you know, did not like those things that actually allow people to make money. Yep. And so where did that come from? Like at what age did you start to gain like a knack for sales, a knack for well, I, I I think, you know, I think that we're all born with certain gifts. You know, everyone's gifts are slightly different. Clearly, um, I was blessed with a natural ability to communicate. Very good tonality and understanding naturally of the things that someone else would need to hear to get them to say yes. I think, you know, we all, you know, have certain abilities. That was mine. That was like my, almost my superpower as a kid. Do you think it came from birth or did it come a little bit from nurture? Did you have to like negotiate with your parents and or, or argue with them or did it come from something else? Or do you think you really were just innately talented at that? Innately talented, I, I believe. And then, and then developed it, you know, to a razor's edge. Like, let me, let me, let me give you an example. Like I love tennis yep. and I'm a pretty good player. Yep. I could play for 8 billion hours. I am never going to be anywhere near good as Roger Federer. Right. He was born with a certain skill set, an extreme skill set. I was born, I believe, with a very extreme skill set for communication. Now, many people, I bet you there are probably five or 10,000 Roger Federer's out there that never picked up a tennis racket. Seriously, right. they never honed the skills like Federer did, right? Yep. So, you know, I, over the years, have honed the talents that I naturally have for sales, communication, business, and turned those into not just, you know, skills I could call on at the highest level at any moment, but those that I could actually teach to other people because I broke them down, slowed them down, and yep. put them in a form that allowed others to use them who weren't natural at sales and persuasion. That was what I think I did that was really special. Yep. And so where did that start? Like at what age did you start to see that you were good at persuasion, good at convincing people, that side of things? I would say I was always known 
very young as someone that was very verbally adept, you know, very, very high emotion like you, great at putting words together, even in kindergarten, like all the way back to the beginning, right? But it wasn't until I would say that first door I knocked on in the meat and seafood business when I went door to door and I already you know, sold stuff. You know, I, I knocked on doors for newspapers and, and had other jobs as a kid, but never like full on hardcore sales and closing. And so it was even a shock to myself when I knocked on that first door at the age of 21. And like when the woman opened up the door, can I help you? And the words just started coming out just so naturally and so perfectly. And I intuitively knew exactly what she needed to hear. That was when I was like, and then I closed that first sale in, in a massive way. And I was like, what the hell? I was and I read, I almost, it was almost like an out of body experience as I was talking. I'm like, damn, I'm good at like, you know, like you, you know, when you're good at something, I'm like, wow, I'm really good at this. You know? And I had that, that flash of feeling great and proud and, and in flow. And that first day I broke the records for the company I was at. And then over the first week I shattered those companies records. And, and that was really when it started at the age of 21 and everything I'd done before that I believe led up to that moment. That was the moment it became apparent to me. Nice. And so take it back a little bit. Did you go to college before that? Where did you go to school? Did I, I, I sure. Yeah. I got a degree in biochemistry. I spent one day, believe it or not, in dental school. Nice. <laughs> and then, so, okay. So how'd you go out from graduating from biochemistry to selling fish and meat? Yeah. So I, I believe that, you know, that, that we get so many beliefs inserted in us from our parents that we don't even realize it from our school teachers, from the media. Well, one of the beliefs my mom would always try and successfully did at least for a while and started in my head was the only noble way to be wealthy. You have to be a doctor or a dentist. And, you know, if you would have asked me at the age of 20, you know, what do you want to be for a living? I'd say, I want to be rich for a living. I didn't know what I wanted to be. Right. So when I was faced with this, you know, make a decision time, you know, graduate or should I go to professional school, dental, medicine? As a, well, I can't go to medical school. It's going to be 10 more years. I'll kill myself. I want to be rich tomorrow. So maybe I'll just be a dentist. Like my fa- my uncle was a dentist. I'll still be Dr. Belfort. My mother will be happy. I'll be rich. And that was really how it happened. And I very quickly realized that was a fatally flawed decision after my first day there. And that was what set everything else up. Well, I mean, here it has the highest suicide rate, so it seems like the wrong path to go down. Um, well, I mean, I, I walked into this orientation, and the and the the dean, you know, stood up the first day and was like, you know, welcome to the Baltimore College of Dental Surgery. It's a hundred kids in the audience; you should be proud to be here. Dentistry is an amazing profession, but let me say this. The golden age of dentistry is over. If you're here to make a lot of money, you're probably in the wrong place. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? I'm in the wrong place? And I got up and I left. <laughs> Bye-bye. That was it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. So how long did you spend selling fish and meat? You did really well in the first week. How long did you stick with it? Well, so I broke the company records in the first week, shattered them. Two weeks later, I said, why am I working for these guys? And I and I started my own company. I had already had my own businesses when I was younger. I had sold ice cream and ices on Jones Beach, blanket to blanket, made a bloody fortune doing oh, that. And how old are you? That, I gotta, let's roll back to that. So I, I do want to get the, like, the root of this. So where did it start? Like, give me the first Well, bit. the root of it is I was had a paper route at the age of seven and eight, knocking yeah. on doors, Perfect. expanding that, right? And then at the age of, then, you know, my mother made me sell the route because she thought I was knocking on too many doors and she thought I'd end up being a door-to-door salesman. She was right. <laughs> she made me force, she forced me to sell the route to an upstairs neighbor for 50 bucks and I retired 
retired at the age of 10. Yeah. My retirement my retirement didn't last long. Next thing I started going house to house after it would snow like crazy. Back in New York, back in the day before Al Gore invented global warming, it used to <laughs> snow like crazy, you know? Yeah. These 30 inch, and I go into the rich people's areas with a snow shovel and I knock on their doors, 20 bucks a driveway. Did that for a couple of years. And after that, one day I was watching TV and David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I was like, shit, I want to be a magician. And I put an ad in the local penny saver, you know, children's parties, the amazing Belfort. I didn't even know how to do magic yet. And the phone starts ringing off the hook. Well, guess what? I was forced to learn how to do magic and did parties for a few years. And then at the age of 16, that's when I really hit it big for the first time. At the age of 16, I went down to the beach, Jones Beach, and I noticed that everyone was bitching and moaning when they were walking up to the concession stand. It was a long walk. And I had this idea to go out and, you know, get a styrofoam cooler and load it up with Italian ices and chip witches and fudgicles, Milky Way Snickers, frozen fruit bars, and the whole cooler fully loaded cost me $22. Next morning, I went and got that cooler, brought it and put dry ice on top, went out to the beach. And in one hour, I sold that cooler out for 145 bucks. I netted $120. The year was 1978. That's a lot of money in 78. It was more my parents made in a, in a, in a week, right? And it changed my life. Yeah. That day changed my life. Next day, I went back and I brought four coolers and made $500, right? And, and I did that through my entire college career, put myself through school that way. And wow. that was really by the time you know, I had graduated college, I had a reputation as someone who was a hustler, an earner. I had always made a lot of money. I mean, it, it, in my second year in the beach, I had three 12-year-olds working for me and I was selling these puka shell necklaces. You know, I did everything. So I was like one of those kids, you know, you know some of those stories with entrepreneurs, they yeah. always was selling something. That was me. Yeah. And, then, and then I started this meat and seafood company at the age of 21 with one truck and I used sheer sales power to build it to two trucks, three trucks, four. Before I turned around, I was 22. I had 26 trucks on the road. Wow. I was making a ton of money, I thought, but actually I was making every mistake that a, a young entrepreneur can make. I was over expanding. I was undercapitalized. I was growing on credit. And just like that, the barbecue season ended, my cash flow dried up and boom, I was out of business, bankrupt. And I, I will tell you, I lost everything. And that was the greatest experience of my life. By a, I mean, what I learned there, you know, I remember I made every mistake you can possibly make. But when I started my bro, and that's how I fell into Wall Street, by the way. And, and you know, I'll, I'll jump ahead just for a second. But when I did eventually start my firm, I was at first hesitant, like, oh, I don't know, whatever. But when I went to a meeting with some you know, lawyers, they were like, where did you learn all this stuff from? Like, how do you know? Like I was an ex, I went to the real business school of yep. going out there and failing and having, there's nothing you learn more from than like a disastrous business where you try to keep it afloat. You learn every trick in the book, what to do, what not to do anyway. So I lost that business. I went bankrupt and I went down to wall street and that was how it started. And the movie really starts on that day where I, you know, walked in that first day and say, you know, you're lower than ponds come. That's how it started. Yeah. And so uh, going back quickly to the failure, what was it just over leveraging, obviously over expansion, but you were undercapitalized, like what really drove it was that you thought the revenue was going to continue to come in. And so you expanded, assuming it just lasted forever. You mentioned end of barbecue season. So make a, make a list of every mistake you can make it as, as a young business owner. I promise you, I made it in space. Like, so like, for example, I started off the business, not having enough money. That's yeah. number one. 
And I was chasing my tail from the beginning. I was trying to sell stuff, pay for it. So already I was always had a gun to my head. So I could never be thinking long-term and strategically. B, I knew nothing about the actual rules of business. I didn't know about, you know, the things that you would actually see nowadays. It's very easy. If you go into business right now, and you don't know the rules of business. You don't have the strategies. Shame on you because they're all out there. You can yeah. get them and you get them for free if you don't want to pay for them, right? I suggest you pay for them because you'll get them more organized and you'll get yeah. better mentorship. But, you know, there's no reason not to have the info. Well, back then you couldn't find it anywhere. It was really, unless you had a mentor or got lucky, you know, you, you had were finding, you're making your own way. Now, I made mistake after mistake. And I'll, I mean, just to give you an idea of how unsophisticated I was, it's laughable now in retrospect, when I was about eight weeks into the business and I was just, I couldn't even pay the light bills because we had no money. The supplier, a meat and seafood company named Murray Berkowitz and son calls me up and goes, Hey, would you, do you want terms? I'm like, what terms for my surrender? Like I thought like, like, I was like, what do you mean terms? He's like, well, you know, so, you know, right now you're paying cash and I assume you want terms. I'm like, yeah, like, I, I, know, I didn't know what about that. He's like, well, we can give you 14 days. I'm like, okay, all right. So just please make sure you don't pay late. I'm like, wait, 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 what do you mean? I'm like, you mean to tell me you're going to give me the freaking meat and I don't got to pay you for 14 days? He's like, yeah, I'm like, Holy, the light bulb yeah. went off just like that. And I said, wait a second. So the faster I grow, the more I'm gonna owe him because my receivables are gonna go. You, you, you get it? Yeah. That was, I, I I didn't know anything about business, and no one was there to teach you. So I started growing on credit. Yeah. Because the more I'd buy, the better my cash. Because I was getting paid every day. Yeah. Right. So I had this positive cash flow. But guess what happens? The payables yeah. eventually will come due. And yeah. when you stop growing and the business slows down, hello, your first cash crunch. And that was one thing. I mean, honestly, I mean, the business was a stupid business. It was a business that had low margins. So like for me, I was like, wow, I mean, I could buy it at 20 and sell it at 40. Oh my God, how could I ever lose? Well, guess what? It's pretty easy to lose, right? So I didn't know that stuff. So all of those things led to the perfect storm of business mistakes. And just like that, a year, year and a half, I was out of business. Got it. All right. So yeah, that was quick. And so why Wall Street? What drew you to that right away? Why'd you just jump in there? Well, I heard a rumor about a kid that we'd all grown up with who was allegedly making a million dollars a year on Wall Street as a stockbroker. Mm -hmm. Now, a million back then was like three or four million today. Right. And just so you understand, this kid was not like the sharpest kid from the neighborhood. He was like not, not the kid that you would think would ever succeed. Yeah, you hear that? You he was like the guy? He was the weird kid from the neighborhood that everyone thought would amount to nothing. And I'm like, that's impossible, you know? And then about a week after I heard, heard that, I go to the local park, we all hung out, and he pulls up in a beautiful Ferrari with a gorgeous blonde in the car. He gets out wearing like a $1,000 suit, and he looks freaking good. I'm like, wow, the kid that was this dorky kid suddenly looked like a, a really handsome, well-dressed man. And I was like, Michael, what, what, what are you doing? He goes, ah, I work on Wall Street. And the thing about brokers, they'll just tell you, Oh, I made a million dollars last year. Like it's a, it's a broker's calling card. I made a million dollars last year. What'd you, he goes, the next year I'll make 2 million. What did you make? And I said to myself, what I'm sure you, and I'm sure many of the listeners here have said to themselves at one point in their life, if this idiot can make a million, I can make 10. Yeah. Got and it. that was why I went down to wall street. 
And how long between seeing him and going to the applying for the job? Like how quick was that? The next day, like the next day, that night I was out there looking through the help wanted section. And the next day or the day after I was out there in interviews. Well, I always have a theory that like people that end up successful, like it's smart enough, hardworking enough, but at the end of the day, luck, but luck also takes just doing it. And that's what I I assume that was the case. The moment you're like, I'm going to do it, you do it. Yesterday, I had some uh, someone on my house, very successful businessman, owns tons of car dealerships, gyms, very worth probably half a billion, billion dollars. And all he kept saying again and again, you know what? I'm really, really smart because I failed more than anybody else. <laughs> said it 10 times. He kept saying it, reiterating the fact that like my own, some of my son was there, he goes, yeah, 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 I look like I'm smart, right? You know, because I'm an expert at failing. <laughs> like yep. I just, you know, I fail, 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 but I only got to be right once in a while because okay. he's an expert at doing what I call failing elegantly. He fails quickly. He fails cheaply, yep. gets the lessons and moves on. Yep. No, that's perfect. So where'd you go to work at first? Wh- which brokerage did you end up at? So I started at this very large, well-respected firm called LF Rothschild, which is a hundred-year-old money center bank, the Rothschild name, the venerable banking firm of Rothschild. And that's where I started. And I was a cold caller for six months. And, and then finally, when I passed my test, my first day came as a broker. And like the movie, it actually was Black Monday. October 19th, 1987. And I watched in shock and awe as the market tanked 508 points in a single day. And just like that, LF Rothschild, a firm that had been in business, I think it was 112 years, shut its doors and I was out of a job. And I got to ask with the movie, was there the characters you talked about, like Matthew McConaughey's character, et cetera? Just like that. That's awesome. He's still around. He's Mark Hatton is a real person. He's a wonderful guy, brilliant salesperson, funny as hell. I mean, I mean, you know, Matthew McConaughey certainly did him justice. Like Mark was a wonderful guy, talented, but Matthew was even better. I mean, I, I thought Matthew's portrayal was amazing. Nothing short of amazing. That's awesome. And so when that closed, what happened next? I know, obviously, I've seen the movie, but what what did the so real closed? And basically, you know, I was out of a job and, you know, I, you know, Wall Street it wasn't just that it closed it was Wall Street right. was basically shut down for a time. Like, you know, I think people forget you. You probably weren't even born. Maybe you were just born or something. Yeah. But I mean, you know, on, that partic- <laughs> on that particular day, everyone thought it was the beginning of the next Great Depression. Yeah. No one thought the market would come roaring back like it did. And it would actually just be a slight interruption in a much longer and sustained bull market that ran straight through to almost 1999, 2000, when the NASDAQ crashed, right? So at that moment in time, though, it was all doom and gloom. No one on Wall Street was hiring. So I picked up the help wanted section that night looking just for any job, not in stocks. And I stumbled upon an ad for a it was a stock brokerage firm in Long Island. And it was, you know, I was like, stock brokers in Long Island. Like, I, I've been working on Wall Street, you know? I was yeah. like, and it was part-time, full, full-time, like, part-time. Like, well, that's good because I, I, I kind of want to get out of the stocks. I want to just do anything. So it yeah. seemed like the perfect place. And when I called, like, investor center, I'm like, what the hell was that? It was like a gruff-sounding <laughs> voice investor center. I'm like, what? I was like, you know, I was working at Morgan Stanley. It's like piece of, hello, piece of shit investor center. I help you. We are the lowest, worst brokerage in the world. How can we get your money? It's like, that's how it sounded. Right. But I, you know, I, they, I said, listen, I'm looking for a job. I said, yeah, come on down. And I went down and I walked into this firm. It was in a strip mall. And the moment I entered, I was literally blown away. You know, there was not a single thing in the firm that essentially, you know, vibrated, resonated with wealth, success, or Wall Street. 
It was like a tiny, what we call a pink sheet penny stock firm. There was no computers on the walls. Kids were dressed in jeans and sneakers. They were cursing. It was insane. And, you know, I didn't even know what a penny stock was. I'd been trained to sell big New York stock exchange or large NASDAQ stocks like Microsoft or whatnot. So when I walked in, I was like, what are you guys selling? And the guy's like, oh, you know, we sell stocks in, in the pink sheets, penny stock. I'm like, what's a penny stock? And he's like, oh, well, here, I'll show you. And I looked at the stocks and I'm like, wow, commission on these things is massive. Like, I, I, like, and he's like, yeah, well, that's the point. Like, you know, we get 50% commission. Yeah. And I'm like, 50% commission? Like on Wall Street, I'd make like 0.5%. So if someone sent you like half a million bucks, maybe you'd make like, you know, $500, right? I was like, whatever, so, something like that, right? The point is, is I'm like, 50%. I'm like, you mean to tell me if someone sends me $100,000, I get to keep 50? He's like, well, theoretically, but it doesn't really work that way because rich people don't buy penny stocks. Yeah. And I'm like, why not? He's like, they just don't. Now, normally, I would definitely not just say, okay. But in that moment, I was beaten down. I was at the bottom of my game. I was desperate to pay the rent. I'm like, all right, well, okay. Well, can you hire me? I'll call the poor people. Just give me names of poor. I'll call the poor people. Just give me a job. I can't pay my rent, right? Yeah. So he's like, okay. And he gave me a list of a stack of people who had filled out these little postcards that they were interested in finding out more about penny stocks. And he gave me a list of these five or six stocks. They were all total pieces of shit. And I picked the one I figured was the dog with the least fleas. And it was some company called Aerotine International, right? And I sat down and I started writing this script. And as I started writing it, I started to realize I have a real gift for writing scripts, you know? And I, by the time I was done with this script, it just sounded so good. And it like wasn't even a lie. It was more about the omission of truth. Yeah. But it was pretty accurate, so to speak, right? And it sounded awesome. And as I'm writing the script, the kid sitting next to me goes, what are you doing? So now I'm writing the script. It's like, you don't need to write the script. Just tell them it's, the stock's going up. I'm like, thanks for sharing, you know? Yeah. Anyway, when I was done with the script, and I looked at it, it was pretty good. And everyone's doing their things, about 14, 15 people in this office here. And the manager's on one side, right? And I pick up the phone. The first dial, some guy picks up the phone. And I'm like, hey, John, you know, how you doing today? If you recall, and, and the words just started coming out so perfectly yep. that by the time I was like, as I finished my, you know, does that ring a bell? I noticed that everyone was kind of looking at me and I'm like, whatever, you know, I could feel the eyes on me. And he's like, yes, yeah. well, John, reason for the call today, you know, something just came across my desk. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. John, if you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. You got a minute? He's like, yeah. I'm like, great. Name of the company? Aerotime International. It is a cutting edge tech firm out of the Midwest awaiting imminent patent approval on a next generation of radar detectors that have both huge military and civilian applications. Now, John, right now, I know the whole five, you know, so yeah. anyway, so at, by the time I was at that point, the entire room had stopped. They were all gathered around me. The manager was running across with a tape recorder, like get a recorder, tape the guy. I'm like, what the fuck? Is, like, I didn't know I sounded that good. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, but I did. I really, in retrospect, I did, right? But I didn't know that. I'm not being conceited. I'm just telling you oh, the yeah. truth. Me, obviously, he made a movie of right. Obviously, everyone knows it, right? So, like, I'm speaking, speaking the truth here. So, and then I asked the guy, you know, like, you know, to, to buy, and he's like, all right, great. And it's like $5,000, which was like the biggest trade in penny stock history. Like, the biggest trade was like, like, the average trade was like $200. And the guy bought, and when I was hung up the phone, they were all looking at me. They're like, how the fuck did you do that? Yeah. And I'm like, 
whatever, right? And that was really how things started. So from that moment in time, things started moving pretty quickly. I mean, the first month I made $50,000, I was the biggest penny stockbroker at this company. Within a few months, I was the biggest penny stockbroker, I'm sure, in the country. And then that maybe was that two months after that is when the opportunity came to open up my own firm. You're really three really months into the job, just learned about penny stocks. And you're like, screw it, I'm out. I'm doing my own thing. No, not, no, no, no. So that's not what happened. So three oh. months into it, the manager approached me. And said, listen, you know, you're the best salesperson and trainer. Because at this point, I was already training the other kids. Yeah. Just not because I wasn't even making money. They were just yeah. there and I was helping them out, right? Yeah. And the whole office suddenly started like, I like started springing to life, all right? And it was just like, you know, the office was producing like, you know, untold sums I'd never done before. And Matt goes, listen, let's do a deal together. We'll open up our own firm you do the training, I'll do the investment banking, I'll run the operations and we'll just make tons of money. And at first I said, nah, I'm not interested because I you know, had this bad experience in my last business. Right. So I had this, almost had this limiting belief in me, like maybe I'm just a great salesman, I'm not meant to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's very important that the people here who've gone into business and haven't succeeded, you failed, so to speak, and you start thinking maybe it's not for you, maybe you're not meant for this. It's bullshit. It's just simply, you didn't know the rules to start. So, you know, and I broke through that and eventually I started, but what I realized pretty quickly was this guy didn't know anything. I didn't need him. And I started my own, I, I had this opportunity. And then like this lawyer called me, was like, after one meeting he goes, wow, you're just so sharp. And everything started lining up. And they're like, you know, if you, I'll work for you with lawyers, I'll work for you for free. If you just, you know, make me, let me be your lawyer after you get started. And I used the powers of persuasion to really put together an elite, team of wall street people on the operation side like yep. i sold some really powerful people to come in and actually run the, the operations the tickets and so forth yep. keeping track of everything and then i started the firm with about 10 people some of them that were at that firm a few of my old friends came to work for me and we were selling penny stocks to average moms and pops that's how it started for about two months we were doing about I was making maybe a, I don't know, maybe half a, maybe 300,000 a month or something. And each kid was making 10,000 a month. Everything was going well. And yeah. that was when I had that, that moment, that million, that billion dollar idea. Like, wait a second, why are we calling moms and pops? Why don't we try to call rich people? Yeah. And that's really, and, and that, what that idea led to ultimately was the creation of the straight line system, which is what I teach people still today, how to close. Because what happened was when I tested the idea, make a long story short, was $5 stocks to the richest 1%, not penny stocks. But when I tested the idea myself, Danny, my junior partner, and I, the Joni Hill character, we were closing like gangbusters. And these 12 kids who I trained were doing well at penny stocks couldn't close rich people. And it was that division. Like, I was like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Like, I'm doing it, Danny's doing it, and these kids can't do it. Like, what matter? They were reading the same script, selling the yep. same stock, calling the same people, and having zero success. My closing rate was 50%, Danny's was 30. Didn't make sense. And that ultimately led me to this breakthrough of like a different way to go about training salesmen. And literally after about a month of trying and failing, I just hit on this one concept, which ended up becoming the straight line system. And the moment I hit on it and I started teaching, it was one night I taught this new way of selling and approaching a sale to these kids who hadn't closed a sale in about a month at this point. And they went on that next morning, an account opening spree of such biblical proportions that literally within 90 days, they were all millionaires and kids started pouring in from all over the country. And that's what you saw in the movie. 
Yep, got it. And by the way, going back to the movie, did the Forbes article hit actually do what it was? That actually a big pinnacle point being in Forbes? Yeah, yes, it, it yeah. did, but not it. But the Forbes article didn't say the Wolf of Wall Street. It was just about me. It was Jordan Belfort. Yeah. The article yeah, was actually. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and, and it was great, though, they did that because it was made the, it, the movie even better. But the name of the, the Forbes article was called Steaks, Stocks, What's the Difference? And it was like a, a take on that. Like, I used to sell steaks. Now I'm selling stocks. But it was a I funny like article. I hated it. I was devastated when it came out. Yeah. And then it turned out to be like the greatest recruiting thing ever because every kid saw this article and was knocking down my door for a job. And the firm just grew and grew and grew. We had about 3,000 people there. But I was, I was still a young 26-year-old. It was, it was totally insane. So, yeah, so really quick, funny story, because I know we have a mutual friend in Ilya Posen. He wrote an article about Hawk Media for Forbes in 2013 before I got started. It was just me. There was no team saying why you should outsource your marketing to Hawk Media. And it was right after the movie came out. So a bunch of people had just, Forbes was revitalized from that movie. I'll give that partial credit. And then this article comes out about what we're doing. It 100% kicked off my business because of that. So highlight. So yeah, and Ilya helped do that. So, okay, so going forward, obviously the movie's been seen a lot, but I'm curious, when you got to, you built this amazing company, did, how accurate is it that you were then asked to step down, you didn't, the whole I'm not fucking leaving scene and that whole yeah. thing, and then like what happened at that point? So most of the movie's true. That's not true. So I'm not that stupid. So when, so when, so when I gave that meeting and said, you know, I got to leave, I actually left. Yep. Okay. But I was I was running the firm from behind the scenes for a while. But that was when I turned the the, the, the firm over to Danny and I started running Steve Madden Shoes. Was another, so I owned both those companies back then. I owned Stratton yeah. and Steve Madden were both my yeah. companies. And I moved and Steve and I shared an office. We started building Steve Madden Shoes. But for the sake of the movie, certainly it made a great movie that I said, I'm not leaving. It's yeah. fabulous. Great. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But yeah. I really, I mean, I didn't leave in spirit, but I did leave in body. Yeah. And so I actually don't know the the real story of what happened with, you know, the FBI or whoever was investigating and like how that ended up. What did they, why did they, if you left and stepped out, did they still come after you? What ended up happening there? Ultimately, what I got indicted for wasn't stock fraud or anything with the sales. That was, I mean, the sales was great. That wasn't the issue. It was, it was, I, I smuggled money to Switzerland. Got it. So that was really the, the, uh, gave them the ability to get an easy so-called headshot against me. And then I ended up pleading guilty to other things like stock manipulation mm-hmm. and so forth. But it was the, it was the laundering the money is bringing it to Switzerland to evade taxes. That really yep. did me in. It's a stupid thing, but Hey, you know, <laughs> you live yeah. and learn. Amen. And so did your time came out. When did you come back out? What, like what timeline was that? I actually don't know what you're So I went, I, I did 22 months. I, I went into jail on January 3rd, 2004. And I emerged on, 2005, October 31. So it was 22 months. Got it. And you can shut me down on any of this, but did they take a lot? No. Did they take everything in terms of like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took most of them, pretty much all my money. And I started again, which was awesome, by the way. Which I, I recommend to anybody who want, if you're like almost out of money, I strongly recommend you just lose it all because it's so much easier to start from the bottom than from the from the almost bottom. Well, and that's so, what, you know, you know, it's even been your story before this, where you've had businesses that went, you've had money making, then they failed. So you, you know how to start over and start anew. So- Exactly. Yeah. I, I think what happened, happens with a lot of people when they, you know, the enemy of great is good. You know, when, when you're, if you're like barely, if you're surviving and there's no impetus to really change and go for it. So I really, I zeroed out, which was close to it. They left me with maybe a million dollars. That's not a lot of money when you're, when you're spending money. I was like lasted for like three months. It was gone. You know what I'm saying? So like, and then I started from scratch when I got out of jail, but like what happened was as soon as I got out of jail, I started writing that book and I sold it to a random house within like 90 days. 
And what, that's how it started. Was that deal public? What was that deal? How much did the brand? That was so. So that deal was original. The first book was half a million. The seventh book was nine hundred thousand. And then the movie rights sold before I. Right after the first book, the movie rights was about all oh, collectively four or five million. I don't know. So it was like sort of a few different. It was hits all along the way. Different, you know, little cash outs. And you know what that does at least gave me enough income to start really, you know, moving forward. Now I was going to actually continue to write more books, but I really didn't. I hate writing. I don't like it. That's why I'm hiring your company because you know I hate writing. I'm a good writer. I'm, not, I'm a writer who's really good at it and hates doing it. So I, you know, made a decision to like, you know, I, I really don't love writing books. Let me start teaching people about, you know, business and sales and so forth. And I made that decision in about 2008, 2009, and that's how it started. Got it. And so how has that grown? Wait, I, I don't think a lot of people know publicly how big that business is. So talk about your mm. great line selling. Well, it's a great, yeah, it's a great business. I mean, listen, that business has been uh, very good. I mean, listen, I'm very fortunate, you know? I mean, I have to say, I mean, that movie, you know, like it's a commercial yeah. for my business. So like, I mean, it, I could do basically nothing and just sit. If I, if I want to just do nothing and sit back, I could probably make a few million the rest of my year just trickling by in life and doing some speaking jobs and selling some stuff, right? Yeah. But like, that's not me. I don't, I don't, I have to be vital and I have to, I love training people. I, you know, I created a, I, I think 2017, I redid the straight line and made it into a, a certification program. It took me a year and a half or two. It took so much money, total disaster to create, but it was so, it was like my life's mission to make this amazing. And I would say, I can't tell you the amount of people, like th tens of thousands, if not more, have written me emails. You've changed my life. You've, you know, you've, you've done so much. And I get those constantly every day. I can't walk in and an airport or into a restaurant or down the street have someone saying, you know, thank you. You changed my life. And to me, yep. that's like the most valuable thing to me. That's worth more than all the money. Seriously. You know, I already have enough money. I live a good life, but that to me is like, Oh my God, what a great way to live. You know? And I grew up similar to you where I got, I was into selling things when I was six years old and I, I always valued it. And I, I've now run into people all throughout, like when I'm speaking at colleges or to even my own employees. And you realize like, I was always told that I had to learn to sell, you know, contrary to how your parents were, my mom and dad even were like, learn how to sell something. You'll be fine. If you can sell, you'll be good. And I took that to heart. And there's most people, 99% of people don't hear that. So giving them something, actually having something you can supply them that allows them to do that. I think it's huge. I mean, I, I really do, because I don't care if you want to be a salesperson, you're always going to be selling something, even if it's just yourself for a promotion. You're going exactly. to, so that's I, I, you know, it's really amazing that I've seen the, I've seen my system applied to things that I would never thought it would be like, apply to so elegantly, like the legal profession. Like I have clients that use it as lawyers and they then they went from making like a little bit, like a couple of hundred thousand to 10 million a year, like in a year, just from, from understanding how to close people. It's such a powerful thing. And I think, you know, one of the people I respect, you know, Frank Kern probably is like, he really well, early. Yeah. So Frank very early on recognized that, like that he was a great marketer. He goes, wow. Yep. And he loved my system. And he just very early on understood that. And I spoke at one of his conferences. I say that because sometimes marketers feel like, I just got to be a marketer. And I just think it's just nonsense. You, if you really want to be a great marketer, you have to be able to close as well. If yep. you want to have a business that really monetizes that, you got to do both. It's, it's not one or the other, it's both. And when they're both operating at a high level, you can literally print money. No, it's so funny. I'm going to tell you a Frank Kern story real quick because it's worth it. I was talking to him and he's like, we were talking about partnering up to start a, n a new agency. And he's like, yeah, I launched this other one. I won't name this partners, but he's like, I launched this. Yeah, I know. I, was, I know. Yeah. And I was disaster. in charge of sales and he was in charge of operations. He didn't do anything. I'm like, well, we have that. That's easy. And he's like, yeah, well, and I'm like, how much did you get it to? He's like, oh, we got it to about 800 grand. I'm like, oh, like that's small. He's like, yeah. And month three, we did about 800 grand. I'm like, 
that's a $10 million business in three months. What are you talking right. about? That's insane. And he was talking right. about you and he's talking about like, yeah. nothing implemented. It's awesome. I think that, you know, he's, Frank, it's interesting. I've watched Frank grow as a business person and as a human being, but I, he was always an awesome human being, but he used to have this thing, like I'm the laziest bastard ever. And like, and that was his persona. And then like he, I watched him grow up into his own business. Like as he got a woman's like his new wife's like, really? You know, like, she's like a driven, she's a killer too. And like, and I watched Frank all of a sudden his hair got caught and he's a serious businessman. Right. And it's great to see like, you know, cause you know, he was a, he's still a lifestyle entrepreneur, but you know, he's, he'll always be who he is. But you know, I just have a lot of some people in the, there's a lot of charlatans out there and there's some, people who you you know you you know some people oh i like him i don't like him well no one will ever say he's full of shit and yep. not great at what he does like i think i'm in that category it's like see, you could like me i mean no one's gonna ever say oh yeah he doesn't know how to sell his stuff is no no there's not a person in the world that ever say that and and because the sad thing is there are so many people out there and this is a problem it, it, with the internet is it and, and i hope it's getting better and i you know i've since I had this conversation with a few people lately in podcasts about like the charlatans out there and 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 i think that the internet people are getting smarter mm -hmm. and and hopefully they're being more discerning because it is kind of easy to use marketing tactics to create funnels and get people to buy stuff. And, I, and there's so many people out there who are selling things that are really just designed to separate people from their money. And I, it kind of sucks, you know, because I, you know, I have, I, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm the first one, but I made a lot of mistakes as a kid, but wow, you know, I haven't done that. I haven't, it's not one person I've sold a dollar's worth of stuff to that I wouldn't say, at least my intent was to give them 10 times as much value as they, they got back from me. And, and I, and I, I think that's a better long-term strategy. Like when you really give people value, you make more money in the long-term. 100%. And that's the thing is if you get short-sighted, it screws you up long-term is I think when you focus on that, the money comes and you know you've made money. Like once you get to a certain threshold, it's just a scoreboard. You can buy whatever the hell you want. That that happens actually exactly. for entrepreneurs. And then it's just scoreboard. Exactly. More long-term. So I know you got to wrap in pretty quick. Two things. What's the GameStop? I'm like, my phone's on all day long on TV because yeah. of this GameStop stuff. You know, awesome. My every... partner went in on it. I'm, and I thought that was, he told me yesterday, he's like, yeah, I went in in November. I'm like, you did what? And he's like, yeah, I went oh, pretty yeah. heavy in November. Good for you. I was like, why do you call you must... me? He's like, because I would have never called you with investing GameStop in November. But I know someone who I know really pretty well who got literally crushed, crushed. Like yeah. he's one of the guys, Starting. one of this two is one of the two guys that like were the two main guys that got crushed like short sales. And he, I know one of them very well. He took a, you know, he's a, one of the nicest guys I know. And I called him yesterday. Not really. I, I just called because I was getting interviewed. Hey, he's like, uh. I'm like, what's up? No, no, you don't. <laughs> he's like, rough. you don't even know. Forget it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the scary <laughs> thing about shorting. It can, that can really hit you. Um, exactly. What's what's next for you? Like building out the sales company. Like what what do you think is coming down the pike? As you said, long term vision. What is it? Yeah. So for me, I'm really focusing right now on, on two things. One is I have a very I have a very very lucrative consulting business. It's private. I have like only a few clients. I charge millions of dollars for, for my consulting. But when I work with someone, it's like a really, really serious thing. It's only for people that have big businesses already. Like yeah. unless you're already doing like $10 million and making a, 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 unless you're making a four or 5 million, I'm the wrong guy. I'm not the right person for you. It's like, cause I, it's just, not, I mean, you can hire me for a day. It's fine. But like, you know, I'm talking the type of, you know, an annual deal where I'm really working with someone, you know, constantly. So I have that, which is great. I have a few clients and that just, you know, it's just fun. 
and that's great. And I and it challenging. And then my real business is not sales chain. I do tons of that, but it's recruiting. So yeah. I'm, I'm at in the, in the process right now of building out a platform that is going to hopefully really change the way that companies can go out and hire salespeople, find them, vet them, identify how well trained they are, and hopefully help people, young people and old that want to be in sales or in sales to actually get better jobs, to make sure they choose the right jobs, to get a lot of free training and resources and connections, you know, so it's sort of like that sort of imagine like a modified sort of LinkedIn in a way, but not LinkedIn. But I think there's a real need for that because, you know, it's interesting. Sales is the one thing that you can't like look at someone's resume or their education and say, hmm, be, you just don't know. It's like th things that make a salesperson great typically are those who would disqualify them from any other job. So it's very hard for companies. It's probably the biggest pain point of most companies in scale mode is that they cannot find good people to sell and stick. First year performance is terrible. First year attrition is even worse. So we've solved that problem I'm using my brand as sort of this middle, you know, sort of like a trust in the middle of matching up both sides and making sure people show up trained and possessing the skills and resources, both inner and out of game that they need to succeed at what they're doing and companies yep. and all the pilots I'm doing the companies are, are, are really loving the service and, and I'm about maybe three to six months away from really being able to scale it because it requires a, a you know a SaaS platform and so forth yeah it makes sense no I mean we, we've thankfully built about a 40 person sales team successfully and get asked all the time how so many most people most entrepreneurs struggle they can't figure out how do you get they, they're yeah. the sales person they can't offload it they can't train what you did when you and your partner were telling at 50 and 30 percent close rates and were like why didn't our team close most people stop there they never figure it out exactly so, yep yeah, it's that's huge and the second question i'm curious like looking back at like the you know the stock time and going to jail that side like any regrets any I, thoughts there in terms of what you should or shouldn't have done, or you just like, you got caught moving money to Switzerland and that was a bummer, but that's it. I'm the first person to say like, you know, when I was in jail, I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. I never, I, I was guilty, right? <laughs> but I, my views on that have changed a lot since 2008. Huh? Like, like in the sense that, yeah, I mean, like I always thought, I felt bad for some of the stuff I did, but like I've done nothing like in compared to what the real guys on Wall Street do every yeah. single day. I'm a freaking saint. I was like yeah. a saint, honestly. I mean, I didn't bankrupt Iceland or Green or, or, or Greece, Argentina. and I didn't, I, I didn't Argentina. I didn't, you know, destroy the lives of 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 millions of old people like Prudential and Sher like or Bank of you know a B of A. I mean, there's all. I mean. The, the level of fraud on Wall Street is so massive and pervasive and, and it just it's sick and disgusting. Now, again, it doesn't mean what I didn't do is wrong because it was, but I guess I, in, in my own mind, I'm like, well, you know what? I mean, huh, you know what? I, I wasn't that bad considering what everyone else was doing. And I always kind of thought that, but it was crystallized in 2008. But listen, you know, for me, I look back, I wish, of course, anything I did that caused some people to lose money. Yeah, that's a, that I wish, of course, that wouldn't have happened. But I, you know, I look at my life as it is today. And, you know, I would say that uh, I'm, I'm deeply fortunate that I was able to get a second chance the way I was. Yeah. Because most people really don't. Most people yeah. don't. They you can come back, but I, you know, I mean, I was able to somehow, and I promise you it was not planned. They're like, oh, did you plan this whole thing out? No, I did not plan this out. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have Leo DiCaprio play me in a movie. I'm gonna go to jail. So, you know, so I ended up being a global celebrity, like in his back, you know, sort of like, you know, opposite way than normal. I would not suggest that path to fame and fortune for anybody else but myself. I think you can do it, become 
even more famous and more fortunate or full of money than me and not have to go to jail. <laughs> so like trying to miss the jail part, part and like, maybe you could follow more of the Elon Musk path, sure. hopefully. I, I recommend that path more than my own. But I think what I have shown for all those people who have made mistakes is that there is always a way to come back from failure and do amazing things and to live an empowered and very wealthy and successful life. And for those that haven't failed, remember, just remember, look at me as a cautionary tale. You could take, you could model all the great things I've done, my sales stuff, and just be careful not to fall into the trap of, you know, that one step over the ethical line thinking it's okay. You know, just be careful because, you know, it, it, it kind of sucks going to jail, right? And and I, I would strongly advise against that. And I would say that there's more money to be made doing things the right way. That's the bottom line. Well, that's awesome, Jordan. Thank you so much for being on Hawk Talk. This has been great. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Pleasure, buddy. Take care. Too. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free, identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts all month to month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.